The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat, Jr. Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello, and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat, Jr., and I'd like to welcome you to today's show. Got my tongue tied there. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things, making America safe of hazardous substance and counterfeit materials. Our sponsors today include uh, the HSF.us. Actually, it's the HSF Mark Alliance at www.hsf.us. The Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, which is www.counterfeitavoidance.org. The ECC Corporation uh, is the... um, organization that actually administers those two mark alliances and they are found at www.eccorp.org our sponsors direct sponsors business and quality process management a consulting firm that supports organizations in all things counterfeit and hazardous substance avoidance you can find them at www.bqpm.com and least we not forget our First ever certified counterfeit avoidance independent distributor, Secure Components, organization in Norristown, Pennsylvania, www.securecomponents.com. We'll probably talk about them a little, little bit further into the show today. Our guest website, uh, actually one of my guests, Dennis Bradley, be coming on here shortly with me. Uh, he is a uh, consultant extraordinaire. And you can find information on him at www.optimumenterprises.net for net. Our show today is divided into four segments. In the first two segments, we'll be talking with Mr. Dennis Bradley, co-creator of the hazardous substance standard used today by over 4,155 manufacturing companies to demonstrate their restriction of hazardous substance and everyday products that we buy and use. In the third and fourth segments, my guest, Mr. Phil Zaletta, will discuss what it is like to lead the efforts of creating the standards used by companies today to demonstrate their counterfeit mitigation program and how these standards affect life-critical products. Our goal 
is to share with you, our listening audience, what people, just like you and I, can do to improve the world we live in. The information that is provided today could ultimately save you and you, a friend or a family member, from something that could unknowingly harm you in ways you may never thought of. Our show today, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Thing, highlights two extraordinary people I've had the pleasure, personal pleasure of working with. My guest, my first guest actually, Mr. Dennis Bradley. As I've mentioned before, he's a consultant extraordinaire. Dennis is founder of Optimum Enterprises, an alliance of experts who help client companies achieve better results. I'm not going to speak to his age, but with more than 30 years of experience, he's got a few years on us. In combining organization change, consulting and teaching, and guiding continuous process improvement. Without further ado, let me say hello to Dennis. Hello, Stan. Glad to be here. Well, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today and kind of help us understand a little bit of what you went through or the activities you got involved in relative to hazardous substance, the the lead and the mercury and the cadmium and the hexylvania chromate, and I can go on with other scientific terms, but let me uh, turn it over to you and perhaps you could start by sharing with our audience how you became involved in the movement known as Restriction of Hazardous Substances. Sure, I'd be happy to, Stan. It all started with a fateful phone call from you, as a matter of fact. (laughs) (laughs) That was January of 2005, and here I was thinking about my next round of golf the next morning. And here you had come back from Taiwan with the Manufacturers Association over there. And in response to the directives that were issued by the European in Union in 2003, that is the ROS, Restriction of Hazardous Substances, and the Recycle Directive, we, the Recycle of Waste of Electronic and Electrical Equipment, and here the Manufacturers Association had said, hey, somebody needs to write a set of requirements that the, everybody in this world can buy into, and we think it should come from the United States. So, yeah, <laughs> is that I, pretty much the way to pull it? I, I, I do recall some of that, although I think at the time, wasn't it... Knowing where you were and you were looking for something to keep you occupied, golf <laughs> golf wasn't going to happen that day, as I recall. Well, here in uh, here in northern Nevada, we got just the right variety, so we can I can have those kind of things to uh, keep my occupied. But right. we leapt into uh, responding to the world's demand, and yourself and Gwen Wade and I started to put words on paper, really putting a structure in place for helping companies to achieve and satisfy the accountability that the European Union had imposed upon the world. Now think about this. Look at this in macro terms. They came out with a couple of directives that really mandated results that had to be achieved in the way of limiting hazardous substances in thousands and thousands and thousands of consumer products being produced all over the world. So that's the what. And it threw the world into chaos and panic because nobody knew how. And so that's what really precipitated the composition of what became IECQ QC08000 HSPM, Hazardous Substance Process Management, was the requirements that we laid out that spelled out for every manufacturing company across the world 
what they needed to be doing in their sequence of activities to ensure that those sequence were managed so that the results achieved compliance with the directives that the European issued. You know, when you say that, you're talking about process management. And one of the things that we might remember from the early days is uh, there was a process put in place to do testing. And the world really thought of the the restriction of hazardous substances as something you would test. And, And I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, I know what my perspective is, but from your perspective... Why Why not just use the testing process? Because, Dan, that was the old school mode of operation. Now, think back in the earlier days of manufacturing and production. There was an army of inspectors at the end of the production line sifting good product from bad product, and it was considered a cost of doing business. Some of the product got scrapped. Some of the product got set back for rework. And so it was totally non-value-adding. And the uh, Toyota Corporation really, really set the pace for that, that they're saying, no, inspection at the end of the line is non-value-adding activity. It also does is cost. So there's a better way of doing things, and that is to impose or to really orchestrate from concept all the way through finished product that everybody every step along on the way in that sequence has responsibility for managing quality and compliance with um, these directive requirements. And that was the basis for what we wrote in the process management specification. Right. I, I do recall, as we thought through this, that uh, we looked at the inspection and testing process, and I think it might have been you or, or Gwen that talked about, uh, you know, how do you, how do you make a cake and then uh, – when you get all done with it, you realize you either put too much salt or sugar in it. You you wanted to take it back out. It was a bit difficult. Hey, I'm getting hungry. We're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at this in terms of, let's look at the macro level. Back then, Stan, from my involvement with change in multinational corporations all the way down to small mom-and-pop supplier companies, I, at that time, expressed the fact that from my perspective, This was the most ambitious behavioral change ever attempted to be orchestrated around the world. Think about the scope of what needed to happen with the geographic boundaries, circumventing those, the political boundaries, the economic boundaries, in systems thinking terms, the interdependent components, the supplier companies supplying up the sequence of of the food chain to the original equipment manufacturers, and how management of this change had to be orchestrated across all those boundaries. The scope of it was <laughs> was like never before. So then when you look at the psychology of that, some were going, some of, you know what, back then, a real popular buzzwords that came into play was corporate citizenship. And right. corporations saying, we're committed to doing the right thing. We're going to be good citizens. Well, then the psychology and the fear of taking on the response Responsibility drove a lot of them to shift the responsibility over to their supplier companies and say, you guys take care of this. You manage it and we'll buy it from you. Right. It was, it was scary. It, it absolutely was. I do remember some of that. And 
I also uh, recall that uh, there were a lot of companies at the time that were building products absolutely believed that they were hazardous substance free or the, the buzzword back then, it still is, and unfortunately, this buzzword of green products, um, they, would, they would build them, they would ship them places, particularly into Europe, because at that time, Europe was testing a lot of things coming in, only to find out that they actually were not uh, compliant with the restriction of hazardous substances. Yeah, and Stan, when in the next segment, we can talk about the the parts of this puzzle. I just mentioned the systems thinking and the interdependence up and down the food chain, and then we can talk about the psychology and the fear of people trying to take on new responsibility. And then we can talk about the theory of knowledge. How did these companies get the the wherewithal to really understand what they were building in the first place? It wasn't that necessarily a bad intention. They didn't have the technology to know what they were doing. Right. Yes. And then uh, in addition to all of that, we have the whole aspect of training. And as I recall, there were, well, let's face it, a great the the largest amount of products sold and, and were shipped, manufactured and shipped around the world are actually coming out of either Taiwan or China or a combination of the two. And then from there, it, it's smaller portions coming out of other countries. Uh, so you're talking about educating the masses in foreign languages all over the world. Right, and teaching them something that they weren't grounded in unless they were in some of the industries in Asia that were actually actually practicing process management rather than after-the-fact inspection, quality assurance. Yes, and companies, when we talk about these uh, to the degree that it's appropriate, we're we're talking about name-brand companies, uh, companies like Asus Technologies, uh, I think the third or fourth largest producer of computers, Higher Corporation, LG Corporation, uh, Samsung is in amongst those, Whirlpool here in the U.S. Uh, all of these companies being involved in this. Well, listen, we need to take a quick break, and uh, or a short break, actually. So let me uh, transition us out to a break, and when we come back, we'll pick up on where we're at and talk about where we're going. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products. Yet Stan Salat, Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. 
Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191, bqpm.com. Together, we are working for your safety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at ecccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at ecccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, Working Together for Your Safety. Uh, Today's show, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things, Making America Safe of Hazardous Substances and Counterfeit Materials. My guest we're speaking uh, currently with is Mr. Dennis Bradley, uh, consultant extraordinaire, uh, operator, owner, founder of Optimum Enterprises. Want to get back into that discussion, and Dennis, if you could expand on the deployment of the initiative worldwide and where it appears to be going today, um, i.e., if you will, the consumer products, medical devices, transportation—is it everything, is or is it just uh, our favorite subject of green toys and uh, well, green toys? Well, that's a that's a real good question, Stan. This, Stan, the the scope of this is it is so huge. And if you remember back in two thousand five, two thousand six, <clears throat> as far as compliance with what the directives had mandated, the aeronautics industry said, "Wait a minute, no, we can't be compliant with this. We've got planes flying through the air with lead solder." in a whole lot of their computer systems, and we can't eliminate that because we know the, limit, the, the lead works, and we don't want planes falling on the sky. So they got, a, they got an exemption. Now, uh-huh. at the same time, across, across around the world then, you, you look at this in terms of who's supposed to really take responsibility for the leadership. Is it, is it France? Is it Germany? Is it, is it Great Britain? Is it the U.S.? Is it China? Is it Japan? And who's supposed to quarterback this thing so that everybody mm, stays in sync? And then you look at the, the imposition of the accountability that was put on supplier companies. That These are smaller companies. They don't have the resources to really effectively test what's going on in the materials and the products that they're using. They didn't have the talent. And how is all that learning and transition going to take place over time without their customer companies saying, oh, you're failing in your responsibility, oh, we're not going to buy from you anymore. So it put a tremendous amount of stress on the whole system and on the psychology involved in this, this worldwide movement. Yeah, as I recall, we, we coined a phrase, which I think had been used in other places, but we did use the phrase, be a manager, go to jail. Uh, yep, as, yeah. as, as I recall, that's that's kind of the uh, foundation of the of the Rojas directives out of the European Union, isn't it? Well, no, not necessarily. That was more the political players' response 
to wanting to evidence that they were doing something for what they were getting paid for. So they want they want to impose a new accountability that, hey, people, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, we're going to put you in jail. So then now, now then, they <laughs> that, introduced a whole nother level of stress. <laughs> well, that, that's one way to get your attention, I guess. Yeah, well, and, and it was it was a little legitimate threat. But with that kind of coercive overtone to things, then people start to hunker down and take uh, evasive behavior to avoid the punishment. Right. Instead of, you know, back, back in the beginning, Sam, with some of the discussions with some of the multinational companies that I had during the formative stage of this, I'd point out to them, you know, in this whole worldwide movement, there's going to be pioneers and there's going to be conformists. What are you going to be? Are you going to lead the way or are you going to wait until you see that sure enough it's happening and then you're just going to conform and comply with what everybody else is doing? And it was, you know, a lot of a lot of people just said, well, I'll just kind of sit back and see, you know, and and a lot of that is still happening. Isn't that potentially where back in around two thousand seven, eight, nine time frame, maybe even a little bit more recent than that, we we had a rash of, particularly in the holiday season as we're coming up to it, where we get toys with particularly lead or cadmium in them. Well. Yeah. And you remember the the uh, the big case back when was the uh, Sony PlayStations. Right. That got, sh- got shipped to the Netherlands, and somebody made a phone call, blew the whistle, and said, there's a whole shipment arriving at your docks that doesn't comply with what you've mandated. And sure enough, they tested one of those PlayStations and said, they're not... These aren't coming into our country. And all those PlayStations were supposed to end up under Christmas trees. And right. instead, instead, they got shipped back and at millions of dollars in loss and cost experience. So that was always the sledgehammer that was hanging out there that was supposedly going to mandate everybody getting motivated to do the right thing. Eh, then, then you have to have systems in place to make sure that, <laughs> that any all products are compliant. And as, as Phil will be talking about in the next uh, segment. How how do you do that? How do you ensure that everything is compliant and nobody's slipping between the seams of the cracks and taking advantage and profiting by doing evil? So so what uh, are we now at the point? Because we hear this from retail, particularly, we it's on the news regularly. It's it's in uh, social media. The manufacturers, everybody's. Says we're green. It, does green translate? And I'm going to transition this. We've got a few minutes left, but I want to talk about the hazardous substance free mark. But from your perspective, the terminology that industry is using today, say, calling everything green, well, does that mean it's hazardous substance free? Well, that, that's a good point. And, and there's a, as far as perception management and how a company is perceived by the masses using that kind of terminology says, hey, we're the good guys. But then as you start to look under the the peeling the onion and looking in terms of their processes and what they are actually doing to ensure that their whatever the finished product is hazardous substance free, that's when you get into some real gray areas. Now, and when you look at it from a psychology point of view on this, what are the motivating factors that bring about change in behavior at all different 
stages in a sequence of interdependence between all these enterprises. And who can afford it? Who's getting paid for it? Who's, is it quality assurance's responsibility? Is it materials responsibility? Is it the buyer's responsibility? And it's, a lot of that is still work in progress uh, to ensure that this is going to be mm, the way we do business forever after. All right. As I recall, and uh, taking a step forward here, the the reality today is that green in general means that I'm recycling, which is the uh, waste electrical electronic equipment recycling programs. Uh, two, two aspects of this for our listening audience. Uh, we have the restriction of hazardous substances, which Dennis and uh, have been talking about and addresses specifically the reduction of six hazardous substances known to cause illness in human beings and animals. Um, with that, we also are on the other side of this, the whole recycling process, and then the shipment of that recycled material to foreign countries. And again, we'll pick up the, the next piece of this or in our next segment, we'll start talking about counterfeiting and how that plays. But where I'm really at, Dennis, is we've got got restriction of hazardous substances, we've got recycling, and it seems like we have a gap here on what is really a product that is hazardous substance-free versus a product that's being claimed to be green for the purposes of recycling only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and Stan, I want to point out that as far as the HSF mark is concerned, that is a mark on the finished product. And the great thing about this program that you're hosting and how many, how many thousands of people are listening around the world, that you're awakening them to the fact that they have a responsibility to play a part in this whole worldwide movement. And they can do economic sanctioning on products by not buying them if they don't have the HSF mark. And once that starts happening, once they, all of us consumers, I should say we, start imposing accountability upon the producers that, hey, if you don't produce the kind of product that I want to be safe and buy and give to my children and share with my family, then I'm not buying from you anymore. That could really drive some change. Right. And, and that's part of the, uh, the foundations or it's part of the importance of this particular show today because Dennis did participate in the development, uh, one of the three people that created the standards. Later on, we created the HSF Mark Alliance that Dennis referred to, and that Mark Alliance is actually a, re- a requirement for a manual manufacturer to be able to utilize the, the mark or for a retailer to use the mark in their marketing and sales process is that the company must be certified under the Restriction of Hazardous Substance uh, Process Management System. That's an international certification program based on a standard that was created here in the U.S., the QC080000 standard, long name. But it it works. The world knows that standard. Uh, I can say with confidence, because I was involved with it, and so was Dennis, uh, over 20,000 people in the first year and a half were were educated on the use of the HSPM certification program in China alone. 
And then beyond that, uh, as I say, we're expanding the HSF mark to uh, allow consumers to go into the store, look at a package, see that it has that mark of confidence, that HSF mark to provide confidence that the product you're buying is in fact compliant with the restriction of hazardous substances, and that's a program that requires annual surveillance by a third party to ensure that the manufacturer is doing what they say. And perhaps as part of the close, and Dennis, I'll, I'll turn this back over to you for the last couple of words, but one of the, one of the major things that Dennis and I and, and Gwen Wade actually did when we created this was put the onus of responsibility on the manufacturers and the retailers. We developed it in such a way, we developed the program in such a way that it actually allows manufacturers to do what's right rather than just following regulations. In our last few minutes, Dennis, I want to say thank you very much for participating today. And any last comments before we go to break here? Well, you're welcome for the thanks, Stan. I'm happy to have participated. And very fundamentally that we're all in this together. And consumers, producers, suppliers, managers, employees, we all have to play a part in continuing on the path that we started on 2003, 2005, and forever on into the future. Okay. Well, thank you again very much, Dennis. Uh, We're going to take a short break here, let the station identify itself, uh, address our sponsors, and we'll be back in a few minutes with, or in about a minute or so, rather, with Mr. Phil Zuleta, the uh, leader of the counterfeit avoidance or counterfeit mitigation standards. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products. Yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191, bqpm.com. Together, we are working for your safety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at eccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at eccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. My name is Stan Salat. I'm your host. And today's topic, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, making America safe of hazardous substance and counterfeit materials. We've just spent a few minutes uh, talking with Mr. Dennis Bradley on the hazardous substance side of the activities going around, going on around the world. And now it's my pleasure and my uh, honor, actually, to introduce Mr. Phil Zuletta. Uh, Phil Zuletta, just briefly before we let him uh, come in here, is an independent consultant today, uh, chairman of an SAE International G19 committee involved with the mitigation of counterfeit electronic parts through the development and release of international standards. Some of this becomes a mouthful, but really the bottom line to this, folks, is that counterfeit parts, particularly we're talking about those used in life-critical situations, uh, equipment, if you will, uh, they're pervasive, they're creating a tremendous issue, and rather than me expanding too much on that at this point, let me introduce Mr. Phil Zaletta. Welcome, Phil. Well, thank you, Stan. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show today and participate with you. Now, certainly, certainly my pleasure and our pleasure, and I uh, do believe that our listening audience will uh, thoroughly enjoy hearing the things that you've been involved in. And perhaps you could start by sharing with our audience how you became involved in the movement known as the Counterfeit Avoidance Mitigation, other than being well, an extraordinary person beyond that <laughs> well I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you back a few years um, okay it, it started with my background well, first of all um, most of my career I've been involved with electronics packaging and uh, now when I talk about electronics packaging I'm talking about from the design materials manufacturing assembly standpoint and um, I was actually um, a past president of the International Microelectronics and Packaging Society. Uh, goes by the acronym now of IMAPS. And uh, it was about in mid-2006 that I attended an IMAPS uh, Advanced Technology Workshop where uh, I listened to a Dr. Deganta Das from the University of Maryland give a presentation on how easy it was to receive counterfeit electronic parts. Now, I thought it was interesting uh, because counterfeiting, as you know, is something that's been going on, you know, for eons, frankly. Right. And... Um, so to hear something about counterfeit electronic parts didn't seem like that big a deal. In fact, his presentation didn't give a whole lot of information. He showed us you know, 
how easy it was to receive them and so forth. All right. But it, it wasn't until uh, late 2006 that uh, another conference was together in the Los Angeles area. It was uh, hosted by Leon Hameter, uh, who annually puts on an event called uh, Components for Military and Space Electronics. However, in this case, it wasn't this particular conference. It was a special conference just dedicated to the subject of counterfeit electronic parts. And so I attended. And um, I was actually quite amazed at the attendance. It was in a good-sized conference room in one of the uh, hotels near the Los Angeles International Airport. And it was standing room only attendance. There were people from component manufacturers. There were security enforcement people there. There were lawyers. There were distributors. There were test labs. And um, some of the people had presented on some of the issues that they were seeing. Uh, But more importantly, there were a lot of people there just attending to find out how to address the problem. There, um, in particular, the component manufacturers were starting to receive a lot of correspondence, a lot of telephone calls, uh, saying, you know, people were saying, you know, I've got these parts, uh, and it turns out they're counterfeit, and uh, you know, what can I do about it? What can you do about it? And so forth. And so, right. uh, it was just a huge problem, and a lot of people were trying to come together and and see if they can address the situation. Uh, that, that That's actually interesting, because isn't that about the same time that the uh, recycling started to significantly increase, the requirements for recycling of materials? Uh, it may have. Uh, in fact, let's see, there was, there was legislation passed in California that basically forced the the recycling of electronic materials outside of California. So it, it may have had some, right. or at least within the semiconductor industry. And so there may have been a strong linking there. Um, but anyways, uh, what happened after this event is that I tried to get a hold of copies of the presentations, but they weren't available. Right. Uh, I felt there was a strong message to be uh, made to at least my employer at that time was the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is a contract in NASA. Right. And um, because I couldn't get copies of the presentations, I started to do research on the internet to see if I could put together my own presentations on counterfeit electronic parts awareness. And I did that. I was successful in you know gathering some rather. Uh, repulsive uh, images and um, I started to present you know this shock treatment or shock photos of what what or how you can actually receive counterfeit electronic parts and um, I started to present this you know within JPL and then outside uh, JPL and then um, there was an individual at NASA headquarters who had heard about this and uh, he gave me a call. Uh, this is Brian Hewitt at uh, NASA headquarters. All right. And uh, 
he had asked me if I would be willing to present at um, an event that he was hosting uh, two to three times a year called the Quality Leadership Forum. All right. And I did that. Uh, it was uh, uh, it was a it was an event where mostly quality assurance or you know people involved with mission assurance attend. Uh, and Brian Hewitt was uh, so impressed with the information that he decided to have that kind of subject presented at every subsequent uh, quality leadership forum. And he's still done that. Right. But it was several months later in 2007 that I got a call from him, and he asked me if I would be willing to uh, develop uh, an industry standard to mitigate the risk of counterfeit electronic parts. And uh, I thought that was interesting. It was He wasn't necessarily proposing a NASA standard. He, he mentioned industry standard. All right. And uh, so I had asked him, well, what organization would you suggest I work with? And he suggested SAE International. Um, SAE, as you might know, was has its roots in the automotive industry. Right. Uh, so I contacted SAE. I spoke to one of their, um, their standard specialists, and he suggested the first thing I needed to do was to put together a proposal on what I'd like to do, what kind of standard I'd like to uh, develop. So I did that. I put together the proposal. Uh, it was accepted, oddly enough, by the SAE Aerospace Council. And um, so our the G19 committee was formed. Uh, it was chartered, and our first meeting was actually in uh, November 2007, um, there were. I actually had this meeting in conjunction with another standards organization involved with, you know, mill mill standards updates and so forth. All right. And there were people that were already interested that I knew that would be interested in uh, in addressing this this problem. And in addition, uh, because of my contacts within IMAPS, I had other other people within the industry, even perhaps internationally, that might have uh, interest in in uh, addressing this problem. So I felt pretty confident that I could probably pull passionate people together, you know, to help address this right. problem. So as, as we look at it today, you've actually uh, assisted in and, and led the group into authoring, uh, as, I re- as I understand, three three standards specifically, one dealing with the design aspects of mitigating counterfeit, uh, known as the 5553, AS5553. You also have the AS6081 for independent distributors and brokers, uh, and then the 6174, I believe it is, for mechanical uh, products or materials. Um, Well, there's... A lot of history, but we actually have uh, seven separate subcommittees now. Wow! Each one, each one addressing a specific standard. The one that you're referring to is probably the uh, AS 
6171, which is test, test methods. Ah, okay. Uh, now, that's, that's still in draft. It's actually going through a balloting process right now. Huge effort. Um, but yes, there are several standards. Uh, AS5553 um, has actually since been um, revised. Uh, when we first developed 5553, it was clearly U.S.-centric, and then we, uh, at the urging of uh, people from the international community, we made it more globally accepted. And going forward, all our standards now are, you know, have that in mind to be internationally acceptable. All right. Phil, if I could get you to uh, stand by for just a minute, we need to take a break. Uh, we'll come back uh, and pick this back up again. This is absolutely interesting, uh, and I'd like to move into uh, the area that I know you've been very instrumental in, which is the military equipment side of this, avionics and aerospace, particularly from your JPL background. So if you'll stay with me, let me uh, turn this back over to the engineer, take us out to break, and then bring us back to uh, dig into some more of this counterfeit material management system. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191, bqpm.com. Together, we are working for your safety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at eccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at eccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. My name is Stan Salat. I'm your host. And today we're talking about ordinary people doing extraordinary things making America safe of hazardous substance and counterfeit materials. My guest, Phil Zuleta, is with us. Phil is uh, the 
chairperson of the committee, the SAE International G19 Committee, that's been held responsible for uh, developing standards specifically to electronic and mechanical uh, counterfeit avoidance mitigation program. Uh, Phil, to, to move forward with this, uh, you've kind of given us a background of how it all, how you got in, involved in it and how you got started in it and, and where it took you. And I must ad- admit, uh, I do know Dr. Doss and I know Leon and I know um, the gentleman from NASA that you spoke about, although I'm losing, I'm forgetting his name at the moment. But uh, Brian, Brian Hewitt. Brian Hewitt, yes, thank you. Uh, great people, also extraordinary people, uh, or ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Uh, maybe it'd be interesting for our audience to understand uh, some of the things that go on with the development of a standard. I, I know you don't sit in a room and crank this thing out yourself and then convince everybody to use it. Uh, I assume there's more to it than that? That's correct, Stan. Um, well, first of all, you have to understand that um, um, in order for a standard that's going to have wide acceptance on an international or global scale, need to have or try to have as much participation from the international community as much as possible. Uh, now, frankly, we're still in a growth mode. Uh, I feel that we could still uh, have more participation from individuals from other countries. Um, Right now, most of our participation is from North America and the UK. And uh, uh, we're trying to reach out. The other thing I want to note is that this first standard that we developed, AS5553, and actually all our other standards, but in particular, uh, because the problem is global, uh, and electronic components can go into anything. Uh, it crosses more than just the aerospace and high rail communities. It goes into indust- industrial applications, automotive, medical. And these are areas where I think we can still grow the awareness uh, of what we least have to offer or at least um, structure the standards or or maybe structure the way um, uh, SAE is organized, and I already have a proposal in place on this, to hopefully address these other areas, you know, where, where I know the, these other industries are, are seeing counterfeit electronic parts. And I don't know if, if our standards are, are, are known by them because of this aerospace designation on the standards. Let me let me just uh, add add to what you're saying a little bit, and I know you and I have talked some, uh, and I and I do know that you're aware of my activities both nationally and internationally. Uh, if I hadn't shared with yourself and your committee in the past, I will share to our audience as well. What you've created is uh, starting to gain traction and uh, interest on an international level. And I say that because under a program that we're creating in the ECC Corp, which I've already mentioned is the Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, we've reached out to countries around the world. And to date, Taiwan has uh, 
actually responded and indicated that they're going to develop and uh, start a Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance affiliate. And I had the pleasure and the opportunity to spend some time in Australia where I met with uh, folks in the Airworthiness Association and talked with military folks who absolutely get what you've been working on. And they have also reached out and said that they want to create the, the Mark Alliance uh, down there and start developing and using these standards nationally. So don't underestimate, I guess what I'm saying is don't underestimate what you've started by any means uh, and the companies that you've been working with. Well, thank you, Stan. And, um, I've had an opportunity to present uh, in Japan and also in the Russian Federation. And uh, those countries also see counterfeit electronic parts. Um, Russia, in particular, say their problem is a little unique because um, they have what they what I thought was a little surprising, but maybe it's not. They said their border is so huge um, and porous with China, and uh, they know for a fact that a lot of the counterfeits that they're seeing happens to be coming from from China. So uh, it is indeed a problem, and. Uh, uh, I don't think there's any company within the electronic supply chain that hasn't been affected by this global problem. That that also brings up an interesting uh, point. And for our audience, uh, I might share that when we talk about counterfeit uh, counterfeit electronics particularly, uh, when we translate that, there's certainly the unscrupulous who go out and manufacture something that's not real or is not uh, their own IP, intellectual property. But is it not true that a large or a good portion of what we're looking at is used materials sold as new? Um, Yes, there is. Well, I'm I'm not going to claim to know all the different types of counterfeits. Right. Certainly there are a good portion of uh, used components which are stripped from old electronics and then uh, refurbished to a point where they look like new or they're modified to look like new and then they're, they're, they're redistributed as uh, new parts. Right. It, yes, it's it is by all means a difficult, uh, very difficult uh, task in front of us. We're we're getting close to the end of our show today, and I want to point out a couple of things. Uh, if you don't mind, Phil, there's Phil is responsible for, as we've already said, the development of some standards as a convener of these uh, this program. One of those standards is the 6081, which is independent distributors, a big part of our community and particularly here in the U.S. And that's the first one that I'm aware of that has actually resulted in a certification of an independent distributor. Uh, Secure Components was the first in the world to achieve that certification and they they're one of those companies that supply critical parts to our military and uh, aerospace industries 
Uh, and again, to Phil's credit, it's it's an onerous task to put these things together. And perhaps we can get Phil to come back on it and on another show and talk about this some more. Uh, but uh, by all means, Phil, I, I personally want to thank you for your your diligence in doing this. I know it's not an easy task. Well, thank you, Stan. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's not an easy task. Um, uh, I don't get paid for this. It's all volunteer work, and I would be happy to come back on your show and talk more about our work with the standards and all the good people that uh, are behind the scenes. You know, I can't do this alone. Uh, I don't take full credit for all these standards. Uh, it's really the people behind it uh, who are passionate uh, as, or just as passionate as I am about this in trying to help mitigate this problem. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Phil. And we will definitely uh, sort out a, a time for you to have you come back on. This is Stan Salat with People to People, working together for your safety. Today's show, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. We extend that offer to each and every one of our listening audience. It is extraordinary things that are done by ordinary people, and we invite you to communicate with us. Let us know what bothers you. Let me know what's interesting. Let me know what you'd like to hear or see, uh, have discussed on the radio, on our radio show in the future. Thank you all for listening. Uh, it's been our distinct pleasure, and I thank my guest as well. This is Stan Slot signing off for today. Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat Jr. for next week's edition of People to People, Working for Your Safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe, toxic, and counterfeit-free week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.